So very, very brief passage tonight. I don't know that my time is going to be any shorter, but brief passage just because it's, it's so important and so relevant, I think. Uh, now, some of you are probably familiar with the concept of a video going viral, right? That's a term that that's become familiar to a lot of folks lately. If you're not familiar with it, what it means is somebody records a little video and puts it on the internet, and before you know it, people all over the world are seeing it. Now, I, the first, one of the early examples of this, some of you are going to know about this, most of you may not, was this little video, and it's one of the weirdest examples, but it was these two little British boys, and when I mean little, I, I, when I say little, I mean like a baby and a toddler, and they're sitting in a bathtub together, and their mom or their dad is videotaping them just to send it out to some friends and say, hey, here's our, here's our two kids and here's what they're up to. And so these two little boys and the, and the little baby sitting in the lap of the older kid and the, the, little, the older kid puts his hand kind of in front of the little baby's mouth and the baby bites the finger. And, and the older kid says, and I'm going to try to do the accent, so forgive me. Charlie bit me. That really hurt, Charlie. <laughs> and then he sticks his finger back in the kid's mouth. And he bites him again. He goes, oh, Charlie bit me. And it goes on and on like this. And this is just a little bit, like I said, just a little video that this family shot to send to their friends. And somehow it went all over the world. I mean, it's been seen millions of times. I think it's just adorable and the little accents and everything. But I'll, I think about that when I think about this passage, and I'll tell you why after we read it, okay? So James 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So this is about the reason why we fight. The reason why there's so much conflict. One of the most stressful things about life on this earth is there it seems like somebody's always angry at somebody else in your life. Maybe it, sometimes it's you that's angry at someone. Sometimes it's someone else angry at you. Often it's two people you love angry with each other. And then you get beyond that, you, you look at the, the divorce rate in our country. You look at uh, the levels of estrangement between parents and children. You look at... Uh, you look at the levels of depression and anxiety among teenagers, and part of that is because they don't feel they fit in. You look at uh, conflict on so many levels, and then even beyond that, you look at wars, you look at gang violence, you look at rioting, you look at uh, all sorts of violence all over our world, and, and it's sort of like, it, it, it's like the human race is that little boy in that bathtub that keeps sticking his finger in his brother's mouth, right? Why do you keep doing that? You know he's going to bite you. Why do you keep doing that? Why do we keep fighting? Why? Because you and I, we can probably diagnose the conflicts of other people. We can look at it and say, well, if you would just do this and you would just do that, why can't we do that for ourselves? James here shows us the source of all conflict. And believe it or not, it's not the devil. We give the devil way too much credit, in my opinion. 
Way too much credit. And I've had, I've had Christians, I've had people in this church say, you don't seem to be worried enough about, about the demonic. And I, listen, I believe it's real. I do. I just don't think we need to be afraid of it because we've, you know, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I think we need to be aware. But we blame the devil for things that, I mean, he's happy about them, but he doesn't cause them. He doesn't have that kind of power. The source of all conflict in the world is our own evil desire according to Scripture, according to James. You fight and you quarrel because of your desires that battle within you, he says in verse 1. Now let me explain three things. Number one, that does not mean that all desire is evil. And the other way of saying it is, the solution to violence is not to eliminate all desire. Actually, that's the teaching of Buddhism. Buddhism says that the salvation is when you get to where you desire nothing. Well, that's not the teaching of Scripture at all. You know, just to give you an example, in uh, Genesis 2, it says that God took a rib out of the man and made a woman out of it and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, that would never happen if God had not created sexual desire. So it's not evil for a man to desire a woman or for a woman to desire a man. What's evil is when you take that desire and use it for purposes that God did not intend it for, right? Same thing with food. If God didn't give us hunger, physical hunger, we'd never eat and then we'd starve to death. And yet, I know this is an ugly subject, but when we allow that desire for food to become an idol in our lives, we become gluttons. We do terrible things to ourselves and we misuse God's resources. So it's not the desire themselves, it's what we do with them. One more example. So the night before Jesus died, as we know, was the Last Supper. But before that ever happened, what did Jesus say? He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. When Jesus said those words, he was saying, I really want to do this. This is something I've been excited about. I, I am thrilled about. I have longed for. It is not wrong to desire. The question is, what are you desiring? Is it something God wants you to have? And, and what do you do with it? You know, some of you know that I wrote a book recently about idolatry. If you didn't know about that and you want it, I've got copies in the office. That's the only commercial you're going to hear. So um, every idolatry is simply something good that has been perverted. It's, it's an idea or it's a concept or it's a substance or it's a person or it's a relationship that God intended for good. And we took it and said, no, 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 I desire that above all things. That's when desire becomes evil. When you desire things in an inordinate way, you need to desire them more than the will of God. So not all desire is evil. The second thing I wanted to say is, it is easy for us religious folks to identify certain evil desires. I mean, if we've grown up in church, all of us can look at the rampant sexuality of our culture, for instance, and say, oh gosh, that's evil desire. That's desire gone to seed. That's the, the God-given desire that the, the world has taken and, and turned into something perverse. And we can all agree on that. Uh, we, we can look at the desire for, uh, for drugs, the desire for alcohol, the desire for all these, all kinds of things that cause physical damage to human beings. And we can say, okay, that is evil desire. Yes. Addiction is the very epitome of a desire gone wrong. But what about other desires that may hit closer to home for many of us that you don't really think about being evil, like the desire to be right 
the desire to be right. Think about how many arguments you and I get into simply because we don't want that other person to have the last word or to feel like they were right and you were wrong. I, I think about the first year of my marriage, and I've, I've been very candid about this. You know, I, I couldn't have married better if I'd had a million options. But our first year was rough because we were young. We were stupid young. And we had so many arguments. And when I look back on them now, the ones I can remember are, are just, most of them come down to, I wanted to be right. And um, she would say, yes, you wanted to be right, and I was right. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> none of them were over anything consequential. I know I've shared this with you, but we, we had a fight once over how to fold the towels. You know what? I didn't care how we folded the towels. I really didn't. I just wanted to be right about something. You know, it, it seemed like at that stage in my life, it seemed like she was right about everything, and I wanted to be right. I wanted something to be mine, right? So we fought about that. Uh, we fought about what we should watch on TV. We fought about all sorts of things. My personal favorite, this, is, this was probably the cause of more conflict that first year of marriage than anything, was me saying, why are you mad at me? And her saying, who says I'm mad at you? You are, so tell me why. Eventually, you know, I, I know this 30 years later, this is what was happening. I made her mad by pestering her about why she was mad at me. And then she wouldn't, didn't want to talk about it. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? You know, if you were a good person, you would let it all out. You wouldn't just hold it all in. Good grief. I had a DeLorean and a flux capacitor. You know, I'd just go back and slap that fool around. But anyway, me, talking about me, not her. The desire to be in control. Here's another one. The desire to get your way. This is a little different than the desire to be right. This is the desire to make sure you're the alpha dog. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about conflict in churches. There's, there's a couple of factors that are in my, in my experience, okay? And, and I do have some experience in this. Most big church conflicts have nothing whatsoever to do with doctrine or with any of the things of the Lord, or the things that matter. They come down to a desire for control and a desire for comfort. So I, this has happened decades ago in a place far from here, so there's no chance anybody knows is going to know what I'm talking about. But I knew of a church, a very large church in another city, and uh, there was conflict in the church. The pastor was trying to lead the church in a particular direction. There was a significant number of the church members that didn't like the direction he was leading them. And so the pastor's uh, solution, quote-unquote solution, was, okay, I'll make a deal with you. We're going to have a vote of confidence in my leadership. And if the vote goes against me, I will leave. But if the vote goes in my favor, if the majority votes with me, everyone who votes against me has to leave. So he split the church. Because they, they voted with him... A majority, but several hundred voted against him and they were gone. And, and there were actually people, there were actually pastors who said, man, that's some bold leadership. And I was like, no, that's not leadership. That's, that's a desire for control. And, 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 you know, just as a confession, that's, that's something that pastors have to deal with. This, this yearning to say, how dare you question my leadership? I've been to seminary. I've been ordained. I've done this. I've done that. And to forget that it's not your church. It's the Lord's church. Boy, that's hard. And part of it is the fault of the way we do church. And we give, we put, we put, we invest the idea of the pastor with some kind of super, we're not Moses, okay? And yet we treat the office of pastor that way. 
instead of, oh, this is a, a fellow brother that the Lord has called to do this particular task, and let's pray for him, let's encourage him. No, we make a celebrity out of him, and well, okay, that's what happens. This desire for control. And then the other side of that is the desire to be comfortable. You know, contrary to what you hear in popular preaching, Jesus never promised us comfort. Not ongoing comfort. Not, not a, a pain-free life. You know, we all know John 16, 33, in this, when Jesus says, uh, take heart, I have overcome the world, but we forget the first part of that is, in this world, you will have trouble. When you read the scriptures, if you really read the scripture, it seems like God just keeps reminding you over and over again, by the way, things are going to get tough. You can't read the Bible from cover to cover and not get the idea that pain and trouble and stress are not the exception, they're the reality. And when you're in one of those moments in life where everything's going great, you should just say, thank you, Lord, for this time. Now get me ready for the next time I'm going to need some extra courage and some extra strength because I know it's coming. Instead of acting like every time things get hard, well, Lord, what have you done to me? Because the Word of God makes it clear. That's, while we're on this side of heaven, that's life's reality. Um, and so I, I say all that to say, you see people in this world get into conflict because somebody else inconvenienced me, because someone else made my life more stressful, uh, because I have a boss who's, uh, who's hard on me or doesn't, like to, doesn't seem to like me as much as he likes this other person. Uh, I, I get angry at, this, at my waitress because my food got burned, right? Or, or because they, she brought out the wrong thing or it took too long or she spilled my coffee. Um, and back to the idea of, you know, I didn't, I wasn't in that church where that pastor had that vote of confidence. I wonder how many of those folks who didn't like the pastor didn't like him simply because things were changing. Just simply because, well, if we go the way you're going to go, then things aren't going to be the same. I do remember hearing this, and I, this may get me into trouble, but I love y'all. I know y'all love me, so we'll see. But, uh, a man came to me one day and he said, you know my, what my pastor said to me the other day? He said, I, I, he said, the pastor stood behind the pulpit and he said to all of us, the church you grew up in is never coming back. He said, I just, I wanted to get up from my pew and go hit him in the face, but I didn't. And I said, well, good. But why do we think that everything in our church is always going to be the way we want it to be when God never sits still? When he's, all, when, he's, when he's always moving, he's all, and, and because the world changes, we have to change the ways we do certain things in order to reach them. So most church fights come down to a pastor, in my opinion, a pastor with a desire for control who's not humble enough to say, I don't know, I'm just doing my best. I'm just one guy. God is God and I'm not. That's that side of things. And on the other side is a church full of people who just want things to go their way who just want things to stay the way they're comfortable with, who just want it to be their church. When it's not their church and it's not his church, you think I could preach on this? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's desire gone wrong. There's nothing wrong with comfort. There's also nothing wrong with having a, a position of responsibility. But when those two desires get out of hand, conflict ensues. And then there's the desire for approval. So you're going to like this story. Uh, name, uh, a name will be changed because it's about my hometown and the West here might know who I'm talking about. I don't know. Uh, but when I was in sixth grade, um, I, all my life was about 
touch football on the playgrounds at sixth grade. That's that's all I cared about. As soon as uh, you know lunchtime, I'd eat in in a hurry and I'd go play touch football. And I remember one day, sixth grade, I was a little kid. I know it's hard to believe, but little bitty guy. I mean, weighed nothing. And uh, I'm out there playing football, and I catch the ball, and I'm running as fast as I can. And this big kid, and I'm going to call him. Let's call him Bubba. Why not? Um, so Bubba comes up behind me. You're supposed to just touch with two hands. He just shoves my back, and I just flew because I weighed nothing. So I just flew, did a Superman, and skidded to a stop. And all his friends thought that was hilarious. It probably was. I got up and started the next play. The next play, they threw it to me again. Same thing happened. I took off running, and he came up behind me and shoved me as hard as he could. And I flew, and I skidded to a stop, and everybody laughed. And that time, I stood up and threw the football at him, and it hit him right in the forehead. I'm kind of proud of that, actually. Um, and he comes up and rears back, grabs my collar and rears back, and I brought back my little fist, and right then we heard this woman's voice say, Stop! And it was the, the girl's PE coach. And she had walked out right at that moment, and she probably saved my life. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. And I look at that and I think, okay, why was I so angry? Because I didn't like being made a fool of in front of all those kids. I had this desire for approval. I had this desire to look a certain way. And that causes a lot of our, our conflicts too. How dare she talk to me that way? Oh, I can't let him gossip about me like that. Well, I can't look like a fool in front of all of these people. I've got to stand up and do something. So, yeah, I know I've, I've kind of chased a rabbit here, but let me just put it this way. If you want less conflict in your life, maybe the best thing you could possibly do is just take a look at the last few conflicts you've been in and ask yourself, what desire motivated me to get angry? Now, that takes a whole lot more honesty and self-awareness than most of us are willing to do, but we're children of God, right? We came to Jesus not as equals, we came to Jesus as repentant sinners. And so it takes going back and, and the humility to go back and say, yeah, I was angry. Why was I angry? Well, I was angry because I wanted to win, because I wanted to be right. I was angry because she made me look foolish. I was angry because, uh, because he inconvenienced me. And if you can nail those things down, you can start to see, okay, there's a common denominator here. Here's what keeps causing me to get into these arguments and these fights and to be upset so often. All right, the third thing. That there's, the third thing I want to say is the solution, the solution is to ask God for the things you need. That's, what, that's not me saying that. That's James. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's the solution. Instead of going out and getting it for yourself, we're supposed to go to God for it. And the, the unspoken implication to that, are you ready for this? Is if you ask God for it and you still don't have it, that means one of two things. Either you don't need it, you think you do but you don't, or you need to be patient. Either way, the answer is still not to fight for it. And that goes against... So much that we're taught growing up. Stand up for yourself. Fight for your rights. God says, well, you know, why not instead trust me? Why not instead believe that I'm going to give you the things you need? 
Contentment is a powerful thing. It's highly underrated. The art of contentment can change your life. Jesus says, I'm sorry, James anticipates this whole argument and says, you ask, but you don't receive. Why? Because you ask for the wrong reasons. You're wanting something God doesn't want you to have. Now you might say, well, how do I know? How do I know when I'm praying for the things God wants me to have? Here's something that I think is, is very instructive. Jerry Sitzer is a Christian writer. If you ever find any of his books, Jerry Sitzer, S-I-T-T-S-E-R, not a popular, not a, not a bestseller kind of guy, but very deep stuff. And, and he said something once in one of his books that I've never forgotten. He said, if all you ever knew was Matthew 6.33, that would be enough to make most decisions. You know, Matthew 6.33, I think I've got it right. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if everything you do, you say, okay, is my motive something that's going to be good for God's kingdom and or good for my own growth and righteousness? In other words, am I, is, am I wanting something that's going to advance God's plan to reach people with his love? Or is it something that's going to make me a, a more righteous person? That's going to grow me in my obedience and my conformity to his character? If it's not, then that doesn't necessarily mean God doesn't want me to have it. I mean, sometimes we pray for, uh, we pray for good weather on our vacation. That has nothing to do with God's kingdom and his righteousness. Sometimes we get it. We might pray for a, a, a red Corvette and get it. Who knows? You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But the only way you know that it's something God wants is if you can definitively say, I know that my motive here is to advance God's kingdom or to grow in righteousness. So the more often you pray for those things, the more often you're going to get the things you pray for. And in the meantime, that also helps you to realize, okay, I want these things over here, but they've got nothing to do with God's kingdom or his righteousness. So I'm going to pray for them. But if I don't get them, I'm going to be content with that. I'm going to say, God knows better than me. God knows better. God knew that rain on my vacation was actually a good idea. God, God knew that it was actually better, that I, that I didn't get that healing I was praying for in that particular time. Um, another way to say it, and we'll look at this next, well, when we, get, when we come back together in, in two weeks. In verse 7, he says simply, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God. That's the answer to so much. That's the key to peace. When I was thinking about it, I, I thought about this kind of a silly illustration. This is not a true story. This is just one of those hypothetical preacher stories. Um, I just imagine there's two little boys, brothers, playing out in their front yard. And mom comes home from the grocery store. She's, got, she's loaded down with bags. And they know that what she's carrying is going to be their supper. So as she walks through the door, she kind of bumps the door jam and a donut falls out of one of the grocery sacks. Donut falls on the ground and, and rolls through the flower bed and, and then stops. And so those boys both attack, you know, going for that donut. And one of them gets it and sticks it in his mouth and the other one hits him in the back of the head so it comes flying out and they go on the ground and they're wrestling and they're fighting, they're biting and they're clawing. And the mom hears it and she comes back out and she says, you stop it. She gets them up and she busts them in the rear end and says, you both sit still. Now, I'm in there making supper for you. You're going to be good. 
or you're not getting any supper. So what's the smart thing to do? Is the smart thing to keep fighting over a half-chewed, dirty donut? Or to live at peace and get a feast? That's really our choice. That's really the dilemma that, that James 4, 1 through 3 presents us with. Because every time we get into a fight of any kind, we always think, yeah, I know, but this time this is important. This time, this matters, right? I, I know, I know, blessed are the peacemakers and all that and love your enemies and yeah, but Jesus didn't mean stuff like this because I mean, even Jesus would be mad right now. No, you're, you're fighting over a half-chewed, dirty donut when God says, just settle down and I've got a feast prepared for you. Just, if he wants to feel like he wins, let him eat the whole donut. Good for him. It won't, it'll stink in his mouth. You just trust me, and you're going to get something so much better. I don't know. That made sense to me. So let me just give you these, these three questions to ask whenever you're in conflict with someone else. And again, I know a lot of conflicts we get into are just spur-of-the-moment things where our event, you know, somebody cuts us off in traffic and we yell out a word or, or someone says something or does something and we just respond. But I think over time, in fact, I know over time, you can condition yourself to respond differently. You can. You just have to want to. It takes a lot of prayer. But if you can get to the point where you ask questions like these, there's three of them. Number one, what desire in my heart has me so angry right now? What, what desire do I think is getting misappropriated or, 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 you know, what desire that I have is getting thwarted that is making me so mad? Just identify it. Say, you know, this really comes down to my desire to look a certain way in front of my friends or my desire to be right. The second, what would God want me to do right now? Right now, in the midst of this, you might be right in the middle of a conflict. There have already been punches thrown. There have already been ugly things said. You may think, I'm too far down the road. There's no reconciliation. What would Jesus want you to do in this particular moment? And then once you ask that question, then you ask the third question. Would I rather fulfill my desire? Desire to be right, desire to be comfortable, desire to be in control, desire for approval. Would I rather fulfill my desire or do the will of God? That's what it comes down to. Every single time. See, one of the myths that I believed, and I didn't grow up in a family that was angry. Some of you perhaps did. I didn't have any of those disadvantages. And yet, as a young man, you know, looking back on early days of marriage, one of my problems was I had this misconception that anger was something that once it was in you, you had to let it out. So even when I didn't, you know, say something ridiculous to my wife, I'd go off and, you know, kick the couch or, you know, throw something. And, and my idea was, well, you got to let it out. And I know I've told you this before, but, you know, I married a very gentle person. Very, very gentle. And she just said to me one day, I can't be around somebody who's angry like that. That just, that's, I don't want to be in a home where they're yelling and throwing and turning things over. And uh, I was smart enough to know that I wasn't going to do better than this, right? I, I needed to hold on to this one, whatever it took. And, and so I started to work on that, started to pray about that. And you know what I learned? 
When you're angry and you feel like you got to let it out, but you don't, you know what happens to that anger? It goes away. And about 99% of the time, you, within a, an hour or two, you go, why was I mad again? Why was I so angry? That doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. Do you want to keep fighting your brother over the donut, or do you want to enjoy the feast? Do you want to indulge your desires, or do you want to do the perfect will of God? That's what conflict comes down to for us. We can't control what the other person does, but we can control what we do. And if we live the righteous life that God desires, and, and we're free from, from that unrighteous anger, then that's going to change the way others respond to us. Okay, so hope that's been a challenge enough for you. Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, none of this comes naturally to us. I know there are people in this room right now who could probably teach me lessons about patience and gentleness and self-control, and I thank you for them. Uh, Lord, there are perhaps others. I, I'm glad I don't know who they are, but there are perhaps others in this room who have a hard time with this, and you know who they are, and you love them anyway. I pray that you would help them to see that the anger and the conflict that they experience is not terminal, it's not something that's baked into them, but it's something that, Lord, you can change, and you want to change, and you want to give us lives that are peaceful. Lord, make us, not just in this room, but throughout this church and throughout your church, period, uh, people who are peacemakers. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.